All right. Well. Okay. It's time to do the podcast. <laughs> I think it's your turn to do the podcast. It is. It is. So as you know, this is the measure of an episode where it is our continuing mission to explore what makes Star Trek proper Star Trek. And I, I got nothing on this one. Do you have anything? And not just good or uh, crappy TV? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the OG. Right. You know? Yep. And I'm Paul. And the criteria by which we judge these episodes, number one, is their science fiction inherent to the plot. Number two is there is that science fiction unique or novel in some way? And number three, is there a moral or ethical dilemma? I'm Paul. And I'm Jonathan. And do you do you want to try to tell us what the blurb is? Or do you want me to read what the blurb is? Let's see how well uh, the old dictation happened. This week we watched Picard, Season 3, Episode 5, Imposters. And the blurb is caught by Starfield. Whoa. Caught by Starfield. And Jason Court Marshall, <laughs> paranoid grows is Picard struggles to uncover whether W E A T H E R in <laughs> prodigal crewman <laughs> in prodigal crewman from his past has returned as an ally or as an enemy hell bent on destroying them all. It's close enough. Right. It would have been great if it said on destroying them all. <laughs> Well, some malls suck now, you know? <laughs> we, like, have no malls here anymore. We have, I think, two, three. Well, they have some in Scottsdale now. I no, have a couple that popped up, right? Well, yeah, but, like, the there was the Great Recession and just inflation and everything has destroyed the mall experience. So Metro Center, which was the mall for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, that shut down about a year ago. Um, well, Genghis Khan like destroyed most of it, so that doesn't. <laughs> they just never came back from that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> doesn't surprise me. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, Star Trek. So I have to say right off the bat, I think this might be the best Picard episode yet. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I think that this really hit the mark in a lot of different ways. Uh, it it wasn't great, I guess. It wasn't an amazing episode, sure. but I liked a couple of things I liked. Let's go. This, this, this is the best way to do this episode is to talk about the things we like, right? <laughs> I mean, Everybody loves it. I know. It's the best kind of podcast, yeah, where we just sit here and <laughs> praise the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of really popular episodes where that's all they do. Mm-hmm. You mean podcast? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. yeah. Where it's just a love fest. Right. For 45 minutes. Right. So boring. So boring. Well, yeah. But that being said. Uh, and then uh, and then Roe appeared, which was neat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good to see Roe again. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a well-crafted episode, though. I felt like I'm trying to like I, – I feel like the pacing was great. I yeah. felt like I, – I was expecting, based on a little thumbnail – in Paramount Plus, that it was just going to be a Worf episode because last episode was just a Titan episode, mm-hmm. and it was just going to be Worf and Rafi the whole time. And I was like, "Oh, prepare, prepare to fast forward." And I, it felt like it, it didn't do that. So it was nice that it jumped back and forth. It had kind of epic pacing, which I liked. Again, with the Nolan esque pacing, where there's no real scenes; it's just everything is kind of bleeding into the next thing. It's all, are all just moments patched together in a good way thought it was great 
Um, except dream sequences. I don't like dream sequences. I think we've had enough of the strange Jack weird possession thing that seems to be happening. Right. And I'm done with that being a mystery now. It's a little, it's, I feel like we've had a whole episode now where we're getting a little glimpse into what exactly is happening. And I'm ready for some answers, you know, because they've ended now two episodes, the previous one and this one, with weird stuff happening to Jack, right? Or big bomb drops with Jack. Well, yeah, this this one was like he... He didn't know, and he thinks there's something seriously wrong with him that he's telling his mommy. (laughs) They crafted that scene really well because it it made it feel very creepy. Yes. And uh, portent, portenting, portending, a portent of things to come. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. I felt like they were making something out of the performances that wasn't there with the music and the push-in like they, they may have even done kind of a fabricated push in like a zoom in where they do it later. They didn't like do it on the day. Right. Uh, but I liked it. I don't like the dream sequences. Like I hate dream sequences in anything. They never work for me. It always feels like a crutch. It always feels like you're trying to communicate something that is important, but you can't figure out a way to do that in the regular narrative of the episode or the movie or whatever, whatever. So you kind of, you know, everybody has a dream where anything can happen. That's the thing is that anything can happen in a dream. And so you are not shackled by any rules of storytelling when they have a dream. And so it just, is, and then all of a sudden they wake up and it's like, Oh, there we go. And it's also a great way to create um, a great slash terrible way to create tension because I think we immediately knew when he showed up on the bridge in the beginning and started shooting people that this probably isn't real. I thought it might be real for a second, but now it didn't make sense. You know, it's like, why would they, why would this happen now? Right. Um, although well, it, yeah, once right. they were all dead, it was like, Hmm, I feel like this yeah. is a dream. Yeah. It did. I mean, it, it did kind of resonate when he put on later in the episode where he put on the star Trek uniform mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, well maybe that was, he was telling the future. Right. But that did not happen. But I think we were supposed to think that. I mm-hmm. think that was a red herring slash just false a head fake kind of thing. Yeah. But I, I don't like them. No more dream sequences. So does it piss your shit off even more when they have dream sequences back to back like they did in this episode? Did they have, were they, ba- oh, that, were they, were they back to back with Jack? Did this just turn into a Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss book? I will have dreams back to back with Jack. Uh, so yeah, when he went like near the end, when he did the transporter and they, they all beamed off just fine. And then like they, they were screaming in agony and then it goes back to him and they all beamed off just fine. And then uh, he was like, please take me anywhere. And he's like, no, and so he just shoots him. <laughs> And then it flashes back again, you know, and he's like, okay. Since this whole season is kind of this weird reference to Star Trek First Contact, the movie, mm-hmm. and they do that in Star Trek First Contact. Actually, the very first thing we see is a double dream, a dream and a dream. It's where Picard is sort of visualizing himself as a Borg and it does this really epic pull out from a Borg cube. And then he, Picard wakes up and then he goes to right, the hand right. basin mm-hmm. and then he sees the thing happen and then it happens again 
Yeah. Uh, so I guess I have to let it slide because it worked then. But I, I feel like that had context because we knew that Picard, we knew why Picard was having these dreams because he was a Borg. I'm sure he has them often. I think the idea from that whole movie was that he's very tortured by his experience with the Borg. Right. And of course it's later communicated to us that maybe the reason he was having these dreams is because they're getting closer. The Borg are getting closer. I was going to say, I think that the double dream was kind of implying that the, um, the hallucinations or the whatever that's happening to Jack is getting worse. And that's why it was doubled up like that. Uh, and with you saying not only what you just said, but also what you said, <laughs> what you said previously, that sounds so great. Um, <laughs> Uh, with you talking about how like it might have been implied that it was because they were, she was getting closer, but also that this episode in this season is kind of rhyming with first contact. Um, I think I think it might imply that whatever Jack is feeling is not only getting worse, but it's getting worse because whatever's happening is getting closer. That is kind of the implication, although it was our first glimpse into Jack's inner mind kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's unclear if he if this is happening to him all the time right. or if it just started happening. That's the thing. I mean, I'm kind of done with it being a total mystery. I feel like we need some clarity now for this to start making some sense. Otherwise, it's just a lost episode. Right. So, yeah, I agree with you. I thought that the voice that was saying, come save me or come find me or we miss you, Jack, <laughs> come home, <laughs> whatever they're saying. I thought that was the voyage home. Yeah, I thought that was Vatic or Vodic. Vatic? Is that her name? Do you have subtitles on? No. What does it say? Beverly. What? I know. It's just a, she's just communicating <laughs> with her. <laughs> Wait, she still has down. the implant. <laughs> she still has the implant that she had with Picard and she just put it in Jack's the back of his brain. <laughs> Or she's just off screen whispering. <laughs> Mom, you have your own room. She's uh, planted com badges everywhere. I wonder if that's actually Beverly or if there's some, if that's just bad captioning. The captions aren't always correct. Right. I, I have to assume that it is bad captioning just because captions usually do not care about giving away spoilers. <laughs> well, and they're done by the same people who do the Netflix blurbs. And so you never know. It's like, who's the last person I saw on screen? Beverly. Well, it must be her. So type right. that in. Right. And, oh my gosh, there are so many times where like, it's like, come on, man, use context to figure out what they're actually saying. There's so many times where <laughs> it's just like phonetically spelled out kind of like what you just did with the, with the blurb. Yeah. I've noticed that sometimes they don't even say anything. I got the impression like, Oh, did it skip a whole section of dialogue? And I thought, no, they just didn't understand it. Didn't want to go back. <laughs> They're typing them in, in real time and right. don't have time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you get paid per hour, you know, and, or you get paid per episode, like, Nope. Yep. Nobody cared. And nobody's watching them. <laughs> you think somebody's quality controlling this shit? There's no way. Right. All of it? Yeah. No, that's not happening. There's no way. Yeah. Uh, so there's a point where they say Starfleet is coming to pick you guys up and I turned you in. So get your bullshit story right. <laughs> I thought that was great. Once yeah. again, Captain Dickhead is is my my favorite character on the show. Can't save the day. Yeah. And, but I, it was funny. It was like, 
I, I had to really think about why did Picard and Riker hijack the Titan? Like, what god is here? Why are we here right now? It's like, oh, right, Beverly and, and <laughs> Jack. I totally forgot. I felt like it was so convoluted, which is kind of fine. We're only in episode five, and all of a sudden, and so much has happened that I forgot about it, which is great. I love that. I love that that's how I felt, but I, I had to really think about it because they hadn't talked about it. I totally forgot that Beverly and Jack were supposedly in mortal danger and they had to come through. And they were, you know, they were. Speaking of which, uh, Roe accuses them of treason. Can you, can you have treason when there's not a country involved? I guess they might define treason differently in the code of conduct of Starfleet or whatever. I'm sure that they have their own version of it. Because, I mean, it was definitely mutiny. Like, they took over the ship. Yeah, but they weren't acting against Starfleet. They were, I guess they were disobeying orders, but that's not immediately mutinous or treason. Plus, everybody does that all the time, apparently, in Star Trek. It's okay to do. As illustrated by Strange New Worlds. And as illustrated by uh, Captain Dickhead talking to them and talking to Riker and Picard in the in the turbo lift, where he just recounted <laughs> a bunch of stuff from the movies, right? And yeah. all good things. I had to look up what the Devron system was. Yeah, I was like, why is that familiar? What episode is that from? Mm-hmm. And they chose you know the most epic, one of the most epic episodes, right? So I liked it. Me too. Yeah. I, well, normally that kind of fan servicey stuff, I don't, I don't care about oh just like, you're talking about that moment okay okay yeah sorry i i kind of went on a tangent sorry to go off on a tangent it's what were we talking about <laughs> it's okay <laughs> i thought you were talking about like just the episode in general you're like i feel like i liked it uh oh, so no. yeah just that moment no. um just that moment. yeah i you were saying about row oh and the and the the treason slash mutiny yeah I, I don't i think that her whole demeanor and behavior I felt like was explained to us mathematically why she was that way. But it's it, once you kind of backtrack into every scene before we learn that Roe is mad at Picard and Picard is mad at Roe. Mm-hmm. By the way, as an aside, I always thought the contention was between Riker and Roe, not Picard and Roe. Unless they're talking about something that happened after the show. Why am I rhyming all of a sudden this episode? <laughs> am I remembering that wrong? Or I thought it was always Riker. Riker. Riker took issue with her from the beginning. But I th- I think it's pretty accurate that Roe and Picard... Picard was kind of trying to help her understand the, the value of Starfleet. Yeah, I just couldn't remember. I remember that right, there I, was like maybe some sexual tension or always. something. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I feel sexual tension between me and Riker all the time, so <laughs> can't imagine it working with him. Um, so we're not there yet, but it came out, and I just had to see how good it was. Uh, there is a moment in the Lower Deck Strange New World crossover episode where Boimler climbs onto something, and you know, to do so, he uh, he kind of saddles it like a horse, and as he does, he goes Riker. Why does it say Riker? Because of the Riker maneuver, how like Jonathan Frakes would always swing his leg over the chair that he was oh, about to sit down right, on. Oh, right, right. Got it. Yeah, I can't wait for that. You should not be spoiling it. 
for yourself? It was, it, uh, well, again, like being Strange New Worlds and the idea that it's all episodic, which this episode was, um, I felt like it was okay to, to cheat a little bit. You just can't help yourself, can you? I was excited for it. I know, you can't help yourself. You're one of the kids that ate both marshmallows, aren't you? No, I, I waited. I don't believe you. I there, not believe you. There wasn't a bigger payoff for this. Like, if there's a bigger payoff, I'll happily wait. <laughs> well, I guess they always got them. No, they get more marshmallows if they wait. Yeah, they got one marshmallow if, if like, they said you can eat this marshmallow now or you can wait until I come back with another marshmallow. But if you eat this marshmallow, you don't get the other marshmallow. And so I would wait. Uh, yeah, the whole row thing I felt was the coolest cameo thing so far. Cause it's kind of a cameo, right? Yeah. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. And you don't like yeah, it. No, keep going. You don't like keep it going. Okay. I, I felt like they had, once again, there's like, a, they try and rehash backstory, which is, mm-hmm. which is okay. I liked that they handled that at the, in the first scene where they're in the conference room, but then they have right. a whole other scene. I mean, the goddamn holodeck. It's like, can we, you guys have a holodeck? Yeah. Let's go in there. <laughs> like, why is that it's the like, go-to well, place? The way I took that is because it has a standalone engine and like, bec- I just assumed that it was kind of a little bit more private than, and it, it, it wouldn't be monitored as heavily, but it's like its default setting is that bar. And I think a lot of this is that so Patrick Stewart can, you know, bang out a bunch of scenes with a bunch of characters in an afternoon, you know, without having to leave anywhere. But I felt like when they had another scene hashing out backstory, it just got a little laborious. Where And I I know that they handled a lot of stuff that's happening. It just felt like where it's two people in a room talking. It didn't feel like it, it just crashed the momentum. Just grow, oh, yeah. grinded to a halt. And I, I wanted there to be more momentum in this episode because they so had it. They so had everything going for it, like where it was just jumping from scene to scene to scene. It was so good. And then there's the bar scene where they're just sitting in the room talking. It feels like they they had a story, again, for like four episodes, maybe six, just keeping it really tight. And they were – the contract was for ten episodes – and so they decided to fill in these moments. And so this is this is my grievance with Roe. I thought everything was great with Roe. It was a nice little callback. It was kind of nice closure for her. They guaranteed that we never have to worry about her again because she is dead now. Um, but like the that's the part that kind of irritates me is you know this either should be. Like just full on nods and winks, closures to all the episodes that were left dangling, or don't do it because I feel like you know by by introducing Ro, having those conversations, and then killing her off, it it's great for everybody who wants to know what happened with Ro. But then there are all these other dangling threads where like Picard is done, so they're they're not going to resolve all these other things that happen in next generation, which I feel like is just going to fan the ire of uh, fans. <laughs> that was very poorly phrased. I heard Allow you, myself to yeah, introduce. I heard you panic. I heard the panic yep. in, yeah, in between fans. <laughs> uh, between two fans. Um, yeah. So, you know, just, the fact that they're 
resolving some things but still leaving others dangling and kind of knowing that they're never going to get to those, I feel like is just – go big or go home. That's kind of my thing, you know, all or nothing. Yeah, it did feel like – so this actually did feel like a literate Star, uh, Star Trek episode in the sense of who Ro is, what the character was, and I guess what we would expect there to be in exchange because Ro never really had – big episodes. The The biggest one was where she and Jordy ostensibly die, but they're just sort of out of phase, that kind of thing. That was kind of, that to me was the biggest row episode that I can remember. Um, but she never had plot episodes. She was always sort of this character who was a wild card and kind of a rebel. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they handled that well in the sense of this is the row. Like you could, I never got the sense that, this was the same actor who played Roe playing a different character in the same makeup. Mm-hmm. It was right. felt like Roe. Yeah. Which I got that. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you, but I think that they're, they're doing their cameos, quote unquote cameos. They're trying to space them out and they're trying to make them so they don't have to be main characters all of a sudden because it's getting crowded, Right. Like if Roe was going to have a two or three episode arc, then in the next episode, whoever shows up, now it's super crowded. So I understand why they're just killing them. Just kill them off, you know. But I, but I also feel like they didn't quite handle the plausibility of saving Roe's life. It just felt like they kind of brushed over the reason why she couldn't be saved. And, you know, she, she could have driven the ship closer to the to the the titan and they could have beamed her off like there was plenty of time right and i understand it doesn't matter she just needs to die and she needs to die in this way so but it just they need to work harder to make it impossible for her to live because they've always do this like that always ruins it for me in these types of situations where the character realizes that there's no hope and so they make a drastic decision to for the betterment of the rest of the characters, that kind of thing. We've seen it before. Uh, but it's it's a tough rope to walk because in this example, I didn't buy it. And so that took me out of it. I was just mad at this point. It's like, well, you have a way to do it. You you could totally like you you are in warp capable uh ships, all of them. So they can go pretty fast. Just head on over there and we'll beam you out and then we can autopilot the shuttle away from the ship, right? Right. And by the way, well, yeah. the ship, yeah. the, the shuttle ran in to the other ship and exploded. And that other ship was totally fine. Totally fine. Right. You know, that their, their nacelle was broken. But mm-hmm. so it's not like an explosion right next to the Titan would have uh, put anybody else in danger. Right. Right. Mm, that, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about that part. Like they did explain what the problem was. I felt, you know, in a in a Star Trekky way that satisfied me. Um, but I did not. I didn't think about what you're just saying. Like the fact that it just damaged that that like specific spot where it crashed. Which, granted, you know, was the nacelle, which made the the ship uh, incapable to warp. But yeah, it's sort of. I think it was the how how it should have ended episode about Superman two, where. <laughs> they're reenacting where Superman throws a cellophane thing at one of the bad guys of his Superman logo. And then 
the guy kind of shakes it off and he's like, wow, that was a mild inconvenience. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what it felt like. No, I agree completely. And, and if they, she, she stayed outside of the ship's shields and close enough to the transporter area, like it should have been just fine. Yeah. Yeah. All of the shields were not up at that point, but they could have put them up. It's pretty easy to put them up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I understand she had to die. They needed to just kill her somehow. Just have it explode though. You know, just don't do all, like they felt like they did too much work, but not enough. Like either do no work and have it be just instantaneous or do more work because they did the in-between, which just pissed me off. And I will say, uh, there was absolutely no acknowledgement or aftermath of that moment of revelation between Jack and Picard in the previous episode, you know, at the end where it seems like Picard is remembering that Jack was the person who asked the question about, do you want a family mm-hmm. in the, in the baseball cap? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing. And he has that like kind of realization and yeah, that was the end of it. There was nothing, right? nothing. They even have a, Picard and Jack have a conversation in this episode where they seem to be cool now. Yeah. Uh, Picard's to Jack. Maybe you should join Starflake. Starfleet? Starflake? <laughs> I always have Starflakes in the morning. Um, uh, Starflake. That sounds like a, it should be a character on Lower Decks or something like that, right? Captain Starflake? Yeah. Or on uh, Futurama. You know, I never saw Futurama. Okay. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Although I know Futurama has had cameos by Star Trek people. I know that's happened. Right. Uh, but yeah, nothing from that. And it's kind of too bad. It's kind of a, a, an example of the writers don't talk to each other. Right. Or nor that they watch, they watch the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there something I'm missing? I don't think I missed anything. I think they just, they needed to have a conversation between them and that was it. And they couldn't go into it. Well, yeah. And, but they still could have hinted at it. Yeah. Maybe they should be. Yeah, like you said, maybe Picard should say something like, "Hey, I kind of you look familiar, Jack. I mm-hmm. remember that time in the in the uh, whatever bar, it's the same bar, or just even like when when the dust settles, I would like to talk to you." Yeah, it, that didn't happen though. They didn't do that. They didn't do yeah. that. But by the way, so I have to say, in this episode, it was the most obvious to me of how great the set design is in this. That first shot in the episode where they're kind of pulling back from the view screen and all of a sudden we're on the bridge and all of a sudden you can see the captain's chair and everybody's working on the bridge and it's just kind of a, oh, we're working on the bridge scene. This is right before Jack starts murdering everybody. And it just made me think, this looks so cool. This is what I want my bridges to look like. This is what I want Star Trek. I mean, Voyager was almost there. They almost got there, right? Where it's kind of dark. It's not just high key lighting everywhere where nobody has any shadows <laughs> anywhere. It's just, right. yeah. Whereas this, it was just well lit. It just looked amazing. And the, the mm-hmm. screen panels look amazing. And it, it very much is akin to the main titles, which now happen at the end of the show. It's like the coolest main titles of any Star Trek show ever, where it's kind of this very abstract kind of view of what the consoles are doing and look like. And it just looks neat. 
And it, it feels very Star Trek. And I felt like it's kind of at its apex in terms of set design. Yeah. I mean, I, again, it's one of those things where like it pulls me out when it's bad. I don't notice when it's good. Um, right. They've set you up in such a way yeah. where you are exactly you're not looking for it. You're not looking to make fun of it. You know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that that kind of struck me. So I, now we, we move on to Worf and Raffi, which I forgot about until just now when I read it in my notes. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why I forgot about it. It's not that they didn't have as much screen time. I think they probably had just as much screen time. The first thing yeah. I noticed was when they go to whatever place they're going to, and they're supposedly the alphas in this crime-ridden backlot mm-hmm. street. Mm-hmm. Uh, they totally pull a, a total recall, which is the bad guys think that they're them, but they're just holograms, and they start shooting at the hologram, and nothing's there. But it doesn't work because they're because they're way ahead of them. Right, you know? right, yeah. Because because evil Vulcan is way. I thought mm-hmm. that was Ray Park, by the way. You know, oh, Ray did you? Park. I thought it was Ray Park. It's not. Okay. I looked it okay. up. I was like, "Ooh, that's an interesting choice." Yeah. No, I I thought it was. I I thought I recognized him, but when I looked through his bio, I was like, "Yeah, no, I haven't seen any of these things." Had a very interesting voice. I almost thought that it was somebody else's voice because mm-hmm. it felt like it was too present. It was kind of too elevated to be real. But right. who knows? Anyway. I want to know how the Vulcans knew that they were doing the total recall thing. How would they know that? And even if they were to recognize that she was wearing the hollow emitter thing, they wouldn't just be able to find Rafi somewhere. Would they? It just felt very convenient that they were outwitted by the evil Vulcan guy. Right. You know, it right. just felt very convenient that it's like, and Worf is like, oh, damn it. I mm-hmm. thought that was so smart. <laughs> we were so smart. <laughs> and he was even bragging a little bit Worf, Worf uh, taunted the guy he's like mm-hmm. we have the upper hand it's like do you right yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway <laughs> that was the most substantive thing that happened on the Worf side of the, the whatever not B plot but Worf plot right Worf Rafi plot because really what happens in all of their – what the whole episode's arc of plotline, tell me what happens. Nothing. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> what information do they have? Really? They know that it was stolen and that they got the thing to break into the Daystrom Institute. Yes. It took that long to get. And it wasn't even interesting business. It was them being held at gunpoint for most of it. Or them walking. Right. Well, and even them fighting. Like, it was a very quick fight. And then, you know, Worf, Worf got better. Yeah. I thought that they were banking on Worf having double organs. Uh-huh. That he was going to come alive again. And it's like, well, that, they can't have killed Worf now. That doesn't make any sense. Right. And why couldn't it have been Raffi? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, and I, I did, I did like that the the Vulcan. You know, it was like he, he said something along the lines of "giving you the plans would be the most logical." Right. Yeah, I like that too. I felt like he was a little too fabulous of a vil- of a villain to be an evil Vulcan. Normally, evil Vulcans are just very stoic, but they look mean, right? And they say they kind of just say the truth, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. 
And that's kind of the the charm of an evil Vulcan. But this guy was supposed to be like a mobster Vulcan. Right. But they didn't lean into it. I wanted to lean into that a little bit more. Because all yeah. Vulcans are super dry, right? And this guy wasn't dry. He was kind of hamming it up a little bit. And you oh, want yeah. to ham it up with how stilted his logic is, right? Because logic mm-hmm. can sometimes be subjective. Oh, sure. So, so why not make his, make his views more extreme and, mm-hmm. and satisfy why they're logical to us? Like give us the A, B, and C of why he's thinking that. This super extreme thing, like why they should let them both fight to the death. Tell us why it makes the most sense. Right. Kind of like the Joker, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you listen to the Joker, at least in the Nolan films, because <laughs> I am not Batman literate, but – one thing they did was they made his views seem plausible or acceptable. It's like, oh, that makes sense. I can see why someone might think that. It's crazy, but I kind of – I buy the crazy. It's not just random. Right. That was cool. I thought, yeah. I thought it was neat. They could have done – I'm just saying they could have done more. I, I was – I thought they had room. They had some headroom to be a little bit more fun with it. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. And make it Ray Park. That'd be <laughs> fine too. Do a roundhouse kick a couple times, you know. Right. By the way, all Vulcans are like super strong. I'm. I think that Vulcans are even stronger than Klingons, right? Oh, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, they are super strong. I I don't know how they relate to Klingons. But the other thing too is like if you have the upper hand. You know, the way he was holding him and the fact that he had a knife to his neck. Like, it might have just been logical to not fight back given that death was on the line. Right. I'm just saying there are, like, a lot of Vulcans around there. And we've never seen a Klingon, like, lift somebody up by their neck and then throw them across the room like we've seen Vulcans do mm-hmm. and Romulans. So I wonder, I wonder, can somebody answer that question? I know right. we can't. <laughs> it's not rhetorical. Send us an email. And answer yeah. the question, are Romulans slash Vulcans stronger than, than who? Klingons. Than Morph? Klingons, yeah. Uh, well, and, and why do you know that? Because <laughs> you're a nerd. That was a test. You failed. <laughs> That's not what I mean. I mean, what canon source is there? <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we talked about this last episode. This idea that someone on in a group, whatever that group happens to be, whether it's a crew or blah, 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 where something is wrong with them and they're keeping it to themselves. And it's a trope. It's a cliche mm-hmm. that they're for some reason keeping it to themselves because of reasons. And it makes no sense why. It's just something the audience knows and the character knows, but everybody else doesn't know. And we're waiting for the other characters to catch up, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I hate it. And Jack does it, seems to be doing it, right? Until the end of this episode where he's kind of telling his mom, his mommy, that uh, something's wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like is a grand, vast overstatement, Right. Or under, <laughs> understatement. It's an understatement or an overstatement, depending right. on you know what he normally comes to his mommy with. But I felt like you should have been saying something a long time ago, right? And we get the impression that there's something in his past 
that caused this, that this just isn't an affliction of some kind. Yes. Yeah. So he should be telling people about, like he's endangering obviously everybody, right? Because he's having Mm -hmm. these visions of just murder. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know if it was her telling him that he'd just done this before or if it was just, you know, that it's his, it's his mommy. And so he knows that he can share with her, but, uh, I, it does make sense to not share with the people who are trying to get him off the ship. Like, <laughs> no, tell, yeah. tell your mom, right? Well, yeah. Tell the yeah. doctor mm-hmm. who can scan you and shit. Right. And so I, I, I liked the fact that he kind of waited until everyone was out. I didn't like that. She had to do any kind of probing or prodding about it, but, um, you know, I, you're right that he shouldn't have kept it from her, but I did like that he ultimately didn't keep it from her. You know, gripping the the leg of the chair until his knuckles are white, and he's like, everything's fine. <laughs> it's just sawdust at the end of the scene. <laughs> yeah, but uh, all in all, like, this was a good episode. They did a, they did a really good job forwarding i'm talking about the picard stuff the wharf stuff that could have been one scene everything that they accomplished one scene but all the picard stuff the picard side of it was entertaining yes they did a great job with the plot i'm very curious to see what's happening where it's going they are now fugitives you know they've conscripted yeah yeah they've they've conscripted captain dickhead to uh go on the ride with them you know the ride of fugitism, right? No, no. I was I was trying to just remember about how like how he handled it. You know, if but he they kind of bullied him into it. They kind of did, but he also kind of recognized, you know, that the this was strange for Starfleet to be doing this. Yeah, it was odd, but I think it caught everybody by surprise. That's what's kind of yeah. nice about this plot line is it's out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's not just related to the Vodic stuff. At least as far as we know. Right. So, I mean, I don't, I, I can't imagine, maybe it is, maybe the person that Vodic was talking to the last time we saw her, that very Star Warsian character on her hologram Instagram, whatever it is, <laughs> uh, whatever that was, maybe it's related. I mean, it must be, right? Why would it be two unrelated things? But it doesn't, there's not, they're disconnected right now. They're just mm-hmm. there's two threats, Vodic and this new grander threat of the Starfleet or the Federation being infiltrated by shapeshifters. Right. Yeah. I just thought it was good. I'm it makes me want to keep watching. So bravo Picard. Yeah, yeah. It's nice that we are actively engaged and not doing this to finish it out. Yeah. We're not hate watching, at least not yet. Right. And half the crew isn't isn't even in the show yet. Mm-hmm. I'm very surprised. I did I did like it did it didn't feel too contrived that Roe was the one doing the investigation and she found that it was much bigger and she I think she talked about how she does have some few people that she can trust and I it, the timing was a little bit convenient that they just happened to plug it in and they got a phone call. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, but it, it worked that like they were with Roe and she died, and they had her information, and Worf was one of her contacts. Like I, I felt like all of that worked. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens next. 
whether or not Worf chooses to change clothes <laughs> or keeps the same clothes on, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting how a pacifist has so many weapons. <laughs> I do want to say and that. practices so many death skills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of secret ninjas in Star Trek these days. We got, mm-hmm. we got Worf. We got Jack. We got Luhan, 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 and the Doctor from Strange New Worlds, whose name, who has a name, but no one knows. Right. Okay. Well, um, was this a Star Trek or a, a proper Star Trek episode? I don't know if there's a moral dilemma here. Mm. Really? I mean, you could say that. Captain Dickhead kind of faces one a little bit about whether or not he should trust Starfleet or trust what he's seeing. Mm. I mean, it was a three and a half second dilemma. (laughs) Right. But it leading up to this, he was trusting Starfleet to do the right thing. I suppose his arc has been one giant dilemma of do I trust these people I don't like and have a philosophical difference with? Yeah. Or not. So, okay, we'll, we'll let it slide because this is our favorite episode so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to, well, we're going to give it the, the and I, I do like that our last episode was our favorite episode so far, which kind of does inc- imply an upward trajectory. So this does make me optimistic for the rest of the season. It just makes me think that next episode is going to be terrible. That's all that makes <laughs> me think. <laughs> well, our next episode is going to be strange new world. So we'll find out then. Right. I guess that's find true. out in two weeks. Going back to what we used to do way back in the day. Uh, So the next episode we're watching is episode five of Strange New Worlds of season two. Um, And it's uh, charades. I was going to say Strange New World. Um, (laughs) A shuttle accident leads to Spock's Vulcan DNA being removed by aliens, making him fully human and completely unprepared to face T'Pring's family during an important ceremonial dinner. Wow. This feels like a Voyager episode. All right. It also kind of feels like that episode where T'Pring and Spock switched bodies. Yep. You know, and they were this, forced into situations. Yeah. This feels like a, isn't Spock funny when he's not a Vulcan type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. We'll see. Another comedy episode. So I feel like when they try and do outward comedy, it's just never funny. Mm-hmm. You know, but we'll find out. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Since so many have been enjoyable, I am happy to give it the benefit of the doubt. So I've been Jonathan. And I've been Paul. And this has been The Measure of an Episode. But you already knew that. (laughs) Uh, A little surprise for next episode.